My name is Ian Burns. I'm the president and CEO of Service Credit Union. We understand that money can be complex, emotional, and sometimes uncomfortable as a topic to navigate. In our over 80 plus years in helping our members with financial fitness, we've seen a lot. Welcome to Open Money, a podcast series by Service Credit Union. Through our guest stories, we will unpack the emotional relationships that people have with money in an open, raw, and respectful way. We will be diving into the emotion and challenges in managing one's finances and the resources to help you feel good about your money. Let's get into it. My journey to home ownership wasn't like most people's. I purchased my very first property at the age of 27 as an investment, a one-bedroom condo in a low-rise complex without all the fancy amenities. At the time, it felt fairly low risk to me, and I was eager to get into the market as early as I could. The idea of home ownership is usually a status marker of adulthood for many. But for me, it was a marker that anything is financially possible, and I desperately needed that. You see, prior to this, I struggled with debt, was living well above my means, and didn't think much of my financial future. I started working on changing my financial life, and I'll be honest, at the time, I never felt like home ownership was in the cards for me. At least not anytime soon, and especially not on my single income. That societal belief that a woman can't afford a home on her own kind of haunted me, and I mainly believed it was true. But as I started getting out of debt, managing my budget, and saving more, the idea I could be a homeowner started to feel like a real possibility. And so I did it, to prove to myself I could. I purchased the investment property while I was still renting a basement apartment myself. I was a landlord and also had a landlord. Rent where you can live, buy where you can afford was the philosophy that was right for me. And honestly, I wouldn't go back and do it any differently. Having that property in my portfolio has allowed me to make other investments into my financial future that would have never been possible. So my biggest piece of advice when it comes to navigating both the financial commitment and emotional pressures around home ownership, it's not a one-size-fits-all approach, and nothing ever is when it comes to finances. Decide what works for you and your lifestyle. Find your why, your motivation, because at the end of the day, it's your money. So make sure you use it for what really matters to you. Melanie Rousseau has been investing in properties for 15 years. She's so passionate about it that in addition to being a money coach, she also recently became a mortgage agent to help others in their dream of finding the perfect property. But four years ago, Melanie went through her second separation. And as a 41-year-old solo mom of two kids, in many ways, she felt as if she was starting from scratch again. But despite the obstacles, Melanie felt like property investment was just in her blood. Yes. Well, the real beginning was truly when I think back was with my grandmother. She was herself a real estate investor. She did an amazing job of planting that seed. So coming out of college, I was fortunate to have a small down payment, but that's where my journey started. I purchased at 26 years old, a property, a tiny, tiny, tiny property in Toronto. Um, but again, it was to me very meaningful. This is where my journey started as a real estate investor. And then I leveraged that off to buy others and leverage, leverage, and leverage, which meant a lot of movings. But 
it all comes together. And then becoming a solo mom, uh, I have a very exciting life. I have gone through two separation. <laughs> I didn't learn the first time. <laughs> Granted, the first one was very easy. Um, and so again, in every experiences that we have in life, it gives us the ability to create. And yes, I made an investment with one of my partner uh, and through a separation, lawyer's fees and all of that, it took away most of my funds that I had uh, built through equity. But again, I had a little bit and, you know, as we know, we have the ability to choose how we're going to do it. So Melanie wanted to continue to live in Toronto, but she couldn't afford to buy there. When a friend asks if she'd like to go in on an investment together and purchase a property in a smaller city while continuing to rent in Toronto, Melanie felt that was just the move for her. I'm very blessed that I have my best friend who's a real estate agent, who's an expert, and I have an open mind. Yet I can be very stubborn too because I always invested in Toronto. This is what I know. This is what I'm comfortable because I'm looking for equity build. So for me, that's my way of building wealth through real estate. But you can decide that for you is more important cash flow. For me, it's equity. Um, so she presented me with an offer, a really good pre-construction, but it's in Burlington. I'm like, oh, Burlington. Not so excited about Burlington, right? But again, like. I only had a small amount. And as we most, most people know now, you do need quite a significant down payment if you want to buy a property in Toronto, especially if it's a $1 million over, you need 20% down. Okay, so that means 200000 I did not have that in my pocket. So again, having that conversation, and I had to think about it. I said, let me meditate on it because I... I truly want to make sure that I resonate with it because again, this was the unknown for me. I know the Toronto market. And so I met it and I said, yes, you know what? Let's do it. But I didn't invest by myself. I invested with somebody as well because my down payment was not enough. And that's another thing that I had to compromise because I am like, I've always done it on my own. I can do it on my own, um, but to rebuild, you've got to start somewhere. Not only does she live this, but Melanie frequently gets asked by clients about the differences in approaching the housing market in terms of finding a place to invest in rather than simply finding a place to live. She says at its core, the difference is rooted in your value system. I started renting at first, but 26, as soon as I bought my place, I never rented after that. I'm 41, right? So going back to the rental market, I feel like ugh, I'm wasting my money. And I talk to a lot of people who think the same way. It's like, I should invest in real estate. I'm not there yet. I don't know if I'm going to make it. But if I can bring people back 
and really meditate. Again, real estate is not for everybody. The expectation of owning real estate is what society ingrained in people. If you own real estate, you have succeeded. But that might not be true for you. It might be traveling. It might be completely something different. There's nothing wrong, especially if you're renting and you're paying $900 because you rented 20 years ago. I know people like that. So in that situation, it's almost better off to keep that rental property because $900 mortgage is very rare nowadays. <laughs> Being as passionate about the housing market as Melanie is, she and her clients often talk about the idea of owning a home as a status marker for adulthood. They talk about the contrast between the dream of owning a home versus the reality of what's achievable today for many. It's more about, like I said, it's more about like the brainstorming versus the self-judgment of judgment in general, right? Um, when I open a conversation either with a solo person or with a couple, I always like to be full disclosure with them because I am going to push them a little bit outside their comfort zone sometimes. Um, but I also open the conversation in a way that I want them to share all their perhaps trauma, for lack of a better word, because like you said, there is a lot of emotion around, am I going to be able to, to do it? What does that mean? And how, the how we all get caught up in the how, right? But once we take baby step and, you know, we, we start that conversation, I bring them more into an excitement mode. Again, that how can you like, let's, let's discover together what you want to create and what's needed to close the gap. And then once you determine what's the gap, and you make a plan to close it, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, okay. It's actually simpler than I thought. It's going to take time sometimes. But again, it, it's always staying. And I know sometimes it's challenging. I don't disregard some people, like, especially if they have kids, they want to get into a home sooner than later, and, and they need to compromise on that side. But again, like a short-term compromise for a long-term reward is really worth it. Melanie has learned some hard-earned lessons over the years when it comes to investing in real estate. Here's some of her cheat sheet. I mean, I love real estate so much and I've had a very good experience. However, the one thing that I've learned the hard way is just like investing in yourself is very important. Once you in when once you invest with somebody else, choose wisely. Very, very wisely. Because in a split second it can bring you upwards or it could bring you downwards. So it's very important that it is in a relationship like marriage or that it's a partnership with partners. It's important to have it in writing. That's what I've learned the hard way. Make that step, make that leap of faith. If that's truly what you want, it gets me emotional every time I talk about it. <laughs> Some had it a little bit easier perhaps, and that's okay. But if you truly want something, leap and life will just bring you 
people to help you, it, it will just fall into places. So just reach out, make that step for yourself. Bridget Casey is an Alberta-based investment expert and columnist for the Globe and Mail. She's spoken about the various ways she feels the Canadian housing market is broken, especially when it comes to weighing increasing rents against decreasing property values and interest rates pushing variable rate mortgage payments higher and higher. How can those meant to choose between these two options make a sound choice when both options appear increasingly bad? She says it's a lifestyle choice. Well, there's a big difference between renting and owning, not necessarily only in payment costs, but in terms of stability and flexibility or putting down roots or being able to modify your home. So when people are trying to decide between renting and owning, when both have become extremely expensive, it has to be about like, what do you want your lifestyle to look like? And what are your plans for the near future? Because when you're buying a home, that is a big commitment. And now it's a bigger financial commitment than it's ever been before. So you don't want to necessarily buy a home if you think you might move in two years for school or a career. Uh, another thing, renting has a lot of positives because it is often slightly cheaper monthly. I know it doesn't feel that way with the way rents are going in Canada, but the variable mortgages are making home ownership more expensive. So renting is still more affordable on a monthly cash flow basis. And maybe you have a lifestyle, you want to live in an urban center and renting is the only way that you can afford to do that. So if that's important to you, then renting is a better choice than home ownership. Because at the end of the day, it comes down to like your life. That's what your money is for. And so that's what you have to choose, especially something that is the most important part of your life, which is the shelter that you spend most of your hours in. And just as Melanie discusses with her clients, separate from simply wanting a nice place to live, owning your home remains a status marker for adulthood. And this is something Bridget too grapples with in discussing her lifestyle theory. I feel like every young adult encounters this. For a long time, I actually experienced a ton of family pressure to buy a home, even though I was much more comfortable as a renter. And I did eventually become a homeowner. I bought my house just this year when I was 36 years old. And I wish I could communicate to people, it's okay to do things later in life, particularly if it's more financially beneficial, because I frequently get messages from young people that are in their early 20s and they're like, houses are so expensive now. It's going to take me 10 years to get into the market. And I'm like, yeah, it took me that long and everything's okay. So you have to feel secure in your financial choices. No one has to live in your life except for you. So when family or other people are pressuring you, like they're not living your life, they're not in your money. It has to be what's right for you. And you don't have to do anything on a schedule or ever. It is okay. If you want to be a homeowner, it's okay to do it in your mid to late thirties. If you never want to be a homeowner, that's okay too. So it's more about being secure in your own choices and your own finances and being able to tune out those voices and opinions of people who do not have to live your life. And along with the status marker of home ownership as a sign of adulthood, the other option, renting, still carries with it the stigma of being the so-called immature choice. But, says Bridget, we got to change our minds about that ASAP. I think renting is actually a great choice. And I 
even say like one of the reasons that I became a homeowner was because I had a daughter. I think if I still didn't have a child, I would definitely continue to rent. And even when I was looking in my city, because I live in Edmonton, it doesn't have uh, quite the housing market that other big economic centers do. And if they had a better rental market, I would have rented my house, but there just wasn't that many options about it. So um Like, I don't know entirely where this narrative is coming from. I think there's a lot of pressure from parents and there's now a lot of insecurity around renting. People think homeownership is safer because they're worried of getting a bad landlord. They're afraid of being rent evicted. And there's this perception that homeownership is more secure, but there's not the acknowledgement that there are tons of unexpected expenses with homeownership. And that can actually put you in a more precarious financial uh, situation. So... I mean, it's so challenging either way. And again, it just comes back to like, what is best for you at this time in your life? And you're allowed to change your mind. If you're a homeowner, you can always go back to renting later. I may do that when my daughter moves out of our home and we don't need it anymore. And if you're a renter, like you can say I'm renting and then maybe in two years you change your mind and you say, I actually want to be a homeowner. And that's fine too. It's more about protecting your present life and your present wealth rather than inventing these scary scenarios that aren't necessarily uh, impacting you and they don't have to be a permanent decision. It's, It's your home. You can move, you can change it. And says Bridget, she recognizes that a lot of pressure on millennials to buy their own home does come from their boomer parents who contended with a very different housing market in their day. I think a lot of boomers, they bought their homes for very affordable prices in like the 70s and 80s. They benefited from this insane run up that we've had in Canadian house prices that have appreciated 300, 600% in value. And now that offered them like most of their retirement nest egg or a lot of financial security. And so I think in their minds, they're like, this is just a home run for everyone. So they pressure their children into it, which doesn't make sense because that was really unprecedented gains that we had. And also like, if you already have a home valued that much or you, they often have two or three homes, like just give one to your kids. (laughs) Like, (laughs) isn't your wealth their inheritance anyway? Why are you pressuring them to overextend themselves into this purchase um, when, when you've already made all the money from it? So I do think the pressure comes from boomers, but I think, I wish that they would realize how unprecedented that was and how the best thing they can do is like share those gains with their children by either like helping them purchase a home or just um, maybe liquidating some of those assets and giving them cash. Another pitfall she sees for those attempting to rush to buy a home is the idea that it's their golden ticket to a retirement fund or a future financial portfolio. But says Bridget, it's likely the opposite. I think it's way more dangerous to jump into homeownership at all costs and make that your main retirement nest egg and not save anything else anywhere. Because I think that's very dangerous. We don't know if we're going to continue to see those gains that we have in the housing market for the next 30 years. It was, like I said, really unprecedented, no guarantee that that's what's coming. So I think if you're a renter and you don't want to be a homeowner or you can't afford to access the real estate market in your city, then you can build wealth in investments like TFSA and RSP invested in the stock market can absolutely get you financial security. And people worry all the time where they're like, what about my shelter? It's like, you will just be renting and using the profits from your stock portfolio to pay for it. So I think there's lots of different ways to build wealth. The one that is best for you is just the one that works for you. 
Some of Bridget's work revolves around running workshops about different versions of financial literacy. And she's noticed some of the same questions and topics come up again and again from her clients. Most people don't actually know how mortgages work. And that's really terrifying considering this is probably going to be one of the biggest, if not the biggest purchases in your life. So there's lots of misunderstandings of just how expensive they are, how much down payment that you have to put down, and also how our mortgage terms work. A lot of people are right now in the rude awakening that they didn't realize like variable rate mortgages, your payments can change month to month. Some people locked in and they like, oh, I have a fixed rate. They didn't realize they have to renew at the end of five years. So if you are even considering being a homeowner, even if you're not at the place where you can shop for houses, at least sit down with a mortgage broker and figure out what mortgage products are out there, how they work and get a good understanding of what it actually is. Because a lot of people just think buy a house, buy a house, buy a house and they don't look into the financial mechanics of it. And then they've already signed the papers when they find out the downsides. And it's free, right? Like a mortgage broker will talk to you for free. They love, they, they want to build that relationship. So reaching out to them is not making a commitment to buy a house. It's not like they will pressure you a little bit. So stand strong. Uh, but it's good to have those conversations. Like what can I afford if the house, the style that I one is that much money. How much do I have to increase my income or increase my down payment? What interest rates are relevant to me? Like, what can I afford? How does that impact my affordability? If they change plus or minus 1% or 2%, how does that impact things? Like, these are all things you want to know before you're shopping for a house, because I think often people just get excited at the prospect of ownership. They go home shopping, then the math is secondary and the math should really be first. <laughs> if you do decide to become a homeowner, saving for the down payment is crucial. But says Bridget, maybe surprisingly not the most important aspect long term. Well, saving a down payment is a big undertaking. It's not the only part of buying a home. Most people are surprised like your income actually matters a lot more than your down payment. So if you want to buy a home, I would say focus on increasing your income first, not only to help your mortgage application, but because that gives you more money to save the down payment if your income is higher. Uh, but when it comes to saving your down payment, you want to use any of the tax sheltered accounts that are available. I took from both my TFSA and my RSP under the first time home buyers plan for my down payment. In 2023, we're actually getting a brand new account, the first home savings account, which gives another tax shelter. And um, the rules for that one are new. And there's lots of <laughs> withdrawals and contribution limits for all these accounts. You can't use the RSP with the first home savings account. So again, this is a good time to sit down with a mortgage broker or financial advisor and say, what accounts are available to me? What is the best for me to make use of based on my income bracket, my other savings and investments and things like that. But generally with a down payment, more cash on hand is better. I usually ask people to try to put down at least 10%. The minimum for most homes is 5%, but that gives you a really big mortgage. And in these situations where we have high interest rates, it's very expensive. So I generally say you don't have to save 20%, but at least 10 and a little bit extra for closing costs and other expenses would be ideal. And yeah, just figure out which accounts are best to build that balance up in. Jen Betts is the CEO of both the Calgary and Edmonton Institutes of Counseling. She's often heard that familiar refrain from those who believe adulthood doesn't really start until you own your own home. I hear this 
um, from clients. I hear this from some of my staff. I hear this from some of my friends. They believe that life cannot start until they get into their home, that there is no place safe, as they use that word, to raise children. They can't move on with life. Life isn't going to start. Life is difficult. They feel shame. They're embarrassed. All these different thoughts that they have that life is not good until I get into a home of my own. Life cannot move forward. I'm stuck where I am. I cannot be happy. I can't be excited in life until I'm an actual homeowner is what some of their thoughts are. And so what I look at specifically with my clients is the shame that they feel. So I should be somewhere else. I don't like where I am. I'm embarrassed. What that is, is that shame. We look at something and we don't like it, so we try to hide it. And so I try to unpack where this shame is coming from for them. Why do they have to obey this rule that says, I must be a homeowner? Where does this shame come from? Where do these messages come from? So that's where I'm most comfortable as a psychologist is doing the deep work. But before we can get to deep work, we have to do what I call symptom treatment. And so often where we first have to start is looking at our thoughts. We have what are called cognitive distortions or automatic thoughts. And so sometimes we have thoughts that are all or nothing. I feel that I'm not accomplished or I'm not an adult until I get into a home of my very own. Therefore, it must be true. And so we have all these different thoughts and we need to pay attention to our thoughts. Like one, another example is should statements. I should own a home by the time I'm 33, 34, whatever it may be. But the joke among psychologists is like, don't should on yourself. And so we have to be careful with our statements. We have to be careful with our beliefs and our thoughts. The more we pay attention to our thoughts, the more we can see where we're off, where we're misaligned. Because we try to follow all these rules that society or whoever it may be has created that we must or we should or whatever it may be. Jen believes the root cause of this sense of dissatisfaction is the age-old comparison game, something social media really shoves into the spotlight. What I always hear where it comes back to is social media. <laughs> Because it is the comparison game. And I have people in their 40s, even it's not people under 40, people in their 40s who come and say, I don't own a home yet. Like I'm so far behind. I look at everyone on Facebook and they're all happy and they all have a home. But we don't even see what's going on in that home. That's the big thing. Is there violence? Is there emotional abuse? Is there debt? We don't know what's behind that white picket fence. Jen has a few strategies she shares with clients on how they can help themselves disconnect their sense of arrested development around the idea of not owning their own home. I um, really, really want people to remember is no one talks about the emotional toll of being a homeowner. It is an incredibly stressful time uh, for homeowners, especially at the beginning when you're putting your down payment down, when you are financing and mortgage rates are so high right now, no one talks about the toll that that has on a relationship. No one talks about the toll that that has on your finances. And so there's a lot of things that people have to consider when they're going into home ownership. It is not all roses and butterflies and white picket fences. It is incredibly difficult to be a homeowner. When you're a homeowner and your furnace breaks, you have to pay thousands of dollars for that. 
But when you're renting, you don't have to do that. That's the beauty of renting. So I think, again, coming back to social media or whatever it may be in life, we have to be more transparent of what life is really like on the other side. I don't always believe home ownership is worth losing out on some of the exciting things in life. And by the exciting things in life, I mean going to a movie, going out for a nice dinner for your anniversary, enjoying a trip to Mexico or whatever. When you are a homeowner, you can't always afford those things. There are people that are house poor because they have put all their life savings into a home. And as we're talking about it, like the common theme here is a lot of people are doing it just for that status symbol of, I believe a measure of success is, are we personally okay and happy with how we're living? And sometimes we can't be happy when we're a homeowner. And we need to look at that piece too. And I think people often forget that piece. Owning your own home has a variety of implications, and you can likely make both a pros and cons list the length of your arm. It's a very personal choice in many ways, but perhaps the most personal choice of all is the root cause of the motivation for wanting or not wanting to own. Because wherever you land, it's likely rooted in some big feelings, and finding the genesis of where they stem from will likely empower you to make the best decision for you. And that's what we're all looking for in the end, right? On the next and final episode of Open Money, we're looking at community financial literacy and how some Indigenous folks have found ways to lift both themselves and some of their peers towards financial success. Open Money is written and produced by Julia Delorentis Johnston. It's hosted by me, Vanessa Bowen, with help from Ian Burns, Service Credit Union CEO. Content strategy is by Chris T. Our theme song is by Andrew Austin. Ryan Thompson of Hot Slice Media edits our show. And Open Money is a production of Service Credit Union. Thank you to our guests this episode, Melanie Rousseau, Bridget Casey, and Jen Betts, for lending us their time to record this show remotely. If you like what you heard, give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And tell a friend about Open Money, too. I'm Vanessa Bowen. Thanks for listening and talk to you soon. Service Credit Union. Feel good about your money.